Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been thinking a lot about what's happening in the United States and in other uh, countries, Western European countries, where we have the rise of nationalism and we see Christians involved in political struggles and there's a sense that we are entitled to power and influence. And when we see that waning or when we see that we're becoming, you know, more of a minority or there's persecution that could be perceived against us, I think there's a, a desire on a lot, part of a lot of people to to get defensive and to and to go the way of power politics. And the thing that I see in scripture is this trajectory from, you know, the, God's people being called out of a place of poverty like Abram and Sarah, and then um, being given this promise, right, that it orients them towards the promised land. And yet a lot of uh, Israel's history is outside the promised land. And, um, you know, they are pilgrims, strangers, and aliens. You know, we see Abraham described that way in Genesis, but also in Hebrews chapter 11. And, um, you know, we have them ending up as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then the Exodus event marks this liberatory moment when God liberates the people from slavery through Moses, um, his leadership. And with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God um, leads the Israelites out through the Red Sea. And the powers and principalities that are um, manifested in Pharaoh's army and his chariots, they are all destroyed. And I've talked about this in other podcasts, how this shows the that there's not a reformation or reforming of the powers mindset in the scriptures, but more uh, the powers are described as finite and as being ultimately just destroyed and not reformed. And so anyway, Israel ends up outside of the land of Egypt. And there's this period of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness before they reach the, the promised land. And it's that wilderness experience that is kind of, uh, I think, critical for us to ponder because I really think that is the the posture that we need to have right now is, is being more wilderness wanderers rather than um, landed people. But since, you know, many of us have land and properties and power, um, you know, we tend to think, okay, well, I've got to protect what I have. And we get into the mindset of just being landed rather than being pilgrim. And anyway, so humility comes in um, into the picture here, because uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we have this powerful uh, chapter where Moses is talking about, um, you know, kind of the the importance of a posture of humility. So I'm going to read this, and um, humility is the place um, from which we are able to hear God's voice, because we realize that our voices are not giving us the way forward, our thoughts you know, our plans are not working. We need a savior. We need God to reveal the path forward. And it's through adversity that we come to that recognition. So I'm going to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter eight, um, the whole chapter. All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land 
which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. So see, we're moving from slavery into the wilderness and then to the promised land. But the way we get to the promised land, which in the case of Israel's uh, story was the land of Canaan, but for us, maybe it's really the, the kingdom of God. I think it is because there isn't a notion of, of actually coming to a place of landedness in the New Testament. But anyway, um, so we say, we, we start off now at verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. So remembering how God leads us when we're in that period of wilderness is critical. Um, that he might humble you, letting you know, or testing you to know whether uh, what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He himself humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that people do not live by bread alone, but people live by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So we're humbled um, and so that we can be tested so that God can know what is in our heart, um, whether we will keep, you know, God's commandments or, or not, following after the way of our own heart, what's right in our own eyes. And so um, being humbled through adversity, you know, through struggle, through hunger, uh, puts us in that place of dependency where we recognize um, that we need to be guided, we need to be helped, we need a Father in heaven that will provide for us. And um, that Father in heaven speaks, and we can be led by words that proceed from the mouth of God, more than uh, just counting on the security of our, you know, of a, of a guaranteed food supply or, or financial supply. So then it goes on, verse 4, Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell those 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in God's ways and to fear God. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which God has given you. So, wow, this is describing land in graphic detail with fruits like pomegranates and barley and vines and fig trees and olive oil and honey and, um, you know, and minerals that can be um, extracted, you know, for making things. And so it's really talking concretely. And yet I think um, we uh, can read this as describing an actual reality, which, uh, you know, which is, which can be physically experienced, which is, which is the kingdom of God, uh, the new heavens and the earth, new earth, I would say for us. But um, I think, you know, we need to read this as describing something very real and concrete that, um, but we are between the land of slavery and this place. 
And maybe our whole existence will be in that in-between place. And where faith is necessary um, is for that whole in-between period that we're living now. And the great danger is to is to kind of depend upon and count on the materiality of you know of, of having arrived or having having some kind of physical security. So check this out, verse eleven. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them. And when your hearts, herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know. Okay, so so here we're told, um, we're warned of the dangers of, of riches and, and of security and of, you know, wealth and just uh, stability. So um, it's not lifted up as, as an ideal, really. Um, what's lifted up as an ideal is that humble posture of, um, you know, whether we're living in, in, in want or in plenty, you know, we're oriented towards the, the living word of God, which is available to us. And, um, and when we know we need God, that's the ideal posture to be in because we're going to be anticipating and waiting on God's word to us. Um, so the danger is, um, it, you know, is self-sufficiency. So it says um, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is God who is giving you power to make wealth, and God may confirm God's covenant, which God swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish like all the nations, like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. So putting our trust in the stock market, putting our trust in our, you know, retirement um, plans and social security, you know, in, you know, whatever um, retirement we have from whatever nation we live in, you know, in our abilities, our net worth or, you know, just anything that we put our trust in other than God can become an idol, can't it? And, and so it's actually adversity and poverty that bring us to that place of humility. And I, I witnessed that in my upbringing because my father was someone who was, uh, grew up in, in poverty and, and then uh, felt really like he, he really wanted to have a secure status. And his father was a pastor and was raising, you know, his five kids. My grandfather was raising my father and and my aunts. And and my, my grandfather had to be gone all the time. And there was a lot of insecurity. And they, they lived through the depression and all that. And my dad didn't want that. So he wanted um, to be wealthy and, and pursued that. And I, I witnessed my dad becoming wealthier and wealthier as I was growing up. 
And then when my dad turned 65, he, um, some business deals um, all sort of came, went bad all at the same time. And on my dad's 65th birthday was the day he and my mom were forced by the, um, you know, the banks to leave our, our family home. And the same day my dad broke his leg and the same day the two cars that my dad had for himself and my mom were repossessed by the car dealership. So my parents at age 65 were left with nothing and uh, had to move everything out and find housing um, and go through chapter seven bankruptcy. And my dad and mom never recovered financially. And we we watched them uh, become, I mean, completely humbled by that experience. We lost, um, they, they lost all their friends, most of their friends in the church of our upbringing because a lot of those people had invested with my dad and lost money. And and so it was a very difficult, really traumatic experience for me and my family to lose our family home. And at the same time, I witnessed my mom and dad um, grow spiritually like um, in a powerful way, like the last 30 years of their life, um, or you know, 25 to 30, my, my mom died at 91, my dad at 94, were up. Uh, period of time when when they truly had to depend upon God and and they did and I saw that as as positive it was I'm glad that they went through that rather than made millions that they thought they were going to make but um but anyway I want to turn now to Matthew chapter 23 where um, there's a different kind of self-sufficiency that Jesus is critiquing which is religious self-sufficiency ideological um, you know, spiritual self-sufficiency. Jesus is exposing um, the Pharisees' hearts and um, critiquing them. And um, Jesus makes it really clear that there's a humility that is needed on, even among those that maybe financially aren't, don't have a lot of money, but are just, uh, can be proud about other things. So um, Jesus says uh, some things at beginning in verse one to four, but I'm going to start in verse five. But they, the Pharisees, do all their deeds to be noticed by people. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by men. Okay, so how do, how do we relate to this? You know, maybe we love it when we have a good reputation, when we're known as being whatever, a good teacher or a good ministry person or a righteous, you know, kind of person who's got integrity. You know, um, I, I, I just love uh, a lot of this text. There's, there's another part in the same chapter where, you know, where Jesus is critiquing the Pharisees and saying they love, they clean the outside of the, of the cup. But, um, you know, the cup that the part of the cup that other people can see, but Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup, you know, the part that no one can see that only God can see. And, um, but the tendency of, of, of the religious, you know, um, the righteous, so to speak, is to live a life before others to be noticed by them. So, um, but Jesus says, but do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher and you are all brothers and sisters. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, the one who is in heaven. 
Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself or herself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself or herself shall be exalted. So that is, that's a powerful word that I want to focus on now. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. You know, in this time of self-promotion, you know, where uh, people like myself and Gracie uh, in our ministry were, you know, we're told, look, you got to get the word out about what you're doing. If you want to get supporters, you know, you got to have, you know, regular um, updates that promote Tierra Nueva, that promote what you're doing. Um, you know, that's the best kind of practices of fundraising is 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 getting uh, your messaging right. You know, your Facebook, your Instagram, your, you know, your whatever your posts are, you know, make sure that they're current and regular and, um, you know, newsletters, appeals, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're trained to actually practice our righteousness before people to be noticed by them, you know, church leaders in order to get, you know, um, tithes, the tithing up, you know, you have to have a program that, that people want to support. And there's so much danger in this whole mindset. And I've been reading, um, a book that we're about to publish through the People's Seminary Press. It's it's uh, Philemon of Gaza, um, who is a sixth century monastic, who was actually the doorkeeper of a monastery, and his role was to train uh, novices, you know, new monks that were coming into the monastery. And he wrote four commentaries, and we published the first one, which is Philemon of Gaza meditates Mark's Gospel, edited by Daniel Bourget, which is just outstanding. Um, and I highly recommend that you uh, get a copy of it. But we're about to publish Philemon of Gaza Meditates Matthew's Gospel. And I want to read um, Matthew 23, um, Philemon of Gaza's meditation on Matthew 23, which focuses on um, this verse, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So I'm going to read um, from Philemon of Gaza. Whoever humbles self will be exalted. These wonderful words of Jesus present us with humility as a way of life in which our part is to abase ourselves and God's part is to lift us up as signaled by the divine passive, be exalted. That is a divine passive is something where um, it's the one who's gonna do the exalting is um, not clearly stated, but it can be um, seen pretty clearly that it's God. So, um, you know, the one who um, humbles himself will be exalted, that is, by God. That's the divine passive. It's clear it is our place to humble ourselves, God's to lift us up. The fathers threw themselves energetically into this wonderful way and very quickly noted that our pride comes to mix itself up in matters and we go astray in delusions, making it our objective to be exalted. And humility to be merely a transitory post along the way to our goal. This folly incites us to humble ourselves just enough to demonstrate obedience to Jesus' words, while keeping our eyes fixed on being lifted up into glory. This clearly reveals our obedience as far from disinterested, and that our only real interest is exaltation. What is really motivating us is this rather than humility. 
the few steps that we force ourselves to take with humility are taken so that we can appear humble in the eyes of others, when in reality we are only seeking our glory. We are therefore totally deluded. Humility is not a passing stage towards the heights, but a pathway that leads us through incessant steps downwards and to unfathomable depths as deep as the heart of God. Wow, that is really hard hitting. And I find this just really deeply challenging and inspiring. So I'm going to continue. Whoever humbles self will be exalted. It's astonishing to see that this word can be understood in two ways. Satan has us understand it in a way that flatters our pride by telling us we are already humble enough and that we will very soon be lifted up. While Jesus makes the statement to encourage those in danger of losing courage along the way, long road of humility. So I'm going to repeat that part. Um, it's astonishing, or Satan has us understand it in a way that flatters our pride by telling us that we're already humble enough and that we will very soon be lifted up. While Jesus makes the statement to encourage those in danger of losing courage along the long road of humility. Because there really is a danger of losing courage along this long road. Because the desert was was a was a period of 40 years, wasn't it? Which is symbolic of sort of a, a long period of time, like almost an infinite period of time. And um, and if it's true that our lifetimes in this world are marked by that desert experience of, of coming out of slavery and then moving as strangers and aliens towards this promised land, which is the kingdom of God, which is going to happen on the other side of finally real, will be realized fully on the other side of death then we definitely need um, courage along this long road of humility. So I'm going to continue with Philemon of Gaza. Paul saw this danger and to encourage us further, preached humility using Jesus himself as an example and model. Picking up the same expression, he tells us that Jesus humbled himself. That's Philippians 2 verse 8. And then presents his exaltation as the work of his father at the end of the way, not as the objective that he envisioned. Jesus's objective was not to be exalted by his Father, but to obey him in humble obedience to the Father, whose will is to save all. Um, I'm going to read that um, Philippians 2 text just to get it in our minds, because to me this is one of the key scriptures regarding humility in the New Testament you know, Philippians 2. And so, um, Philippians 2 reads, let's see. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of people. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, um, I'm going to continue with Philemon of Gaza here. In the passage in which he takes Jesus as a model, Paul wonderfully defines humility by saying that a person, a humble person, abases self with eyes fixed not on self, but not on others regarding them as greater. So I'm going to read that again. In the passage in which he takes Jesus as a model, Paul wonderfully defines humility by saying that a humble person abases self with eyes fixed not on self, and um, and but on and not on others, um, regarding them as greater. This magnificent correction turns us away from our selfish interests and from pride. Paul didn't just teach humility; he practiced it. Abasing myself so that you can be exalted, he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians eleven seven. When Jesus humbled himself to the point of the cross, it was to save us, not to save himself. He humbled himself to the utmost degree. All his life was lowering of self. Humility was not a step along his, the, his road, but was the road itself all the way to death. And what did he find in the deeps of his humbling? the hand of his father to receive him, this open hand beneath the greatest depth into which Jesus was able to entrust his spirit. My father, I remit my spirit into your hands, he said as he breathed his last, Luke twenty-three forty-six. The hand of the father then lifted him to his right hand in the highest heaven. What a difference between this and the objective of the proud, always looking to be exalted, but who find at the summit the hand of God, which brings them low. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everything Paul teaches here is already present in the words of Jesus that I'm meditating here, specifically in a very important aspect that is so discreet um, that pride will have us read right over without noticing. Jesus is speaking here to those he invites to make themselves servants. The greatest among you shall be your servant. This is how he calls us to follow him along the way of service, as one who came not to be served, but to serve. A servant is not a slave concerned only with their salary. A servant lives out their servant's service in a way that is not forced, constrained, or pained like a slave, but freely and voluntarily, not out of self-interest, but out of love. Service is the voluntary abasement of a son who gives his life for others in love, not the forced abasement of a slave who goes through life centered on self. O my soul, the eyes of the humble are not fixed on self, but on others to lift them up, on God to obey him, and on Jesus to contemplate and follow him in the giving of self to others, and to God in love, not self-interest. O oh, my soul, let us contemplate our beloved Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the cross out of love for his Father and for us, and whom his Father exalted to have him sit at his right hand in the highest. Let, his, let us contemplate him. So, wow, what a powerful scripture. Um, 
you know, I want to focus now on just looking at Luke chapter 18, which is another very powerful scripture that, um, that really resonates with people in our ministry. You know, the, the parable of the, par of the of a public and Pharisee and the publican. Jesus was telling a parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Well, this seems like such a critical um, word for us today because there's just so much of this right now, posturing over and against others. And I find myself doing this so often around political issues. And um, I want to really take this to heart, this scripture. Two people went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying like this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. So how much do we do this kind of thing, you know, comparing ourselves to other people? You know, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those right-wing Republicans or, you know, or like, you know, those warmongering, you know, people or whatever who believe in the myth of redemptive violence. You know, thank you that I am committed to nonviolence and to the cross and, and to working with the poor and marginalized. You know, I, I don't look down upon the poor and marginalized like, like those people over there. You know, I mean, like all of us can do this kind of um, comparing ourselves and considering ourselves superior, can't we? Um, but then we have the publican who models a completely different attitude. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So here we don't see that the publican is actually elevated other than we know that um, Jesus, from God's perspective, uh, sees this man as, as, as returning to his house justified. But the man actually, what he does is he just humbles himself and he confesses. And I really think this is a key to humility is that we're in a posture of confessing our sins on a regular basis. And, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will, will show us, you know, what we need to confess. And if we're in a place of, of, of humility where we're, we're just recognizing our own limitations, our own weaknesses, our sins of omission that come out of our ignorance and just our, you know, our more overt, um, willful actions that hurt people and, and that maybe um, are against God and that reflect our own um, trusting in ourselves. You know, if we're confessing these things and then um, really renouncing them and receiving our forgiveness from God, that's going to put us in a place of continual humility. And, um, but we want to be careful, you know, because humbling ourselves is not agreeing with lies or with false accusations, right? And this is a, this is a huge issue when we're uh, dealing with our own um, you know, our own spiritual journey. We don't want to be about uh, agreeing with lies that want to put us down um, and, and you know, self-accusation or just, um, you know, or just believing what the slander that is that is directed against us. You know, we want to be able to admit to anything that is absolutely true 
but there is an accuser, there's an adversary that is trying to crush us and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be living our lives out of guilt or out of, you know, trying to prove ourselves against, um, you know, kind of a barrage of accusation. Um, and it doesn't mean, like, humility doesn't mean being subservient to our abusers, um, but it involves actually speaking truth. And, um, and sometimes um, it, it, um, it does mean, you know, like really, I mean, it, it always means practicing the way of Jesus, of, of, of seeking to love our enemies, like with the agape love and, um, you know, and blessing those who persecute us and doing good to those who, you know, who are, who are evil or whatever, like Jesus's teachings in Luke 6. But, um, and being humble doesn't mean being silent either, because there is a prophetic role that we have to be able to speak truth to power. But we want to be speaking that quote-unquote truth to power in a way that is well-informed and that is um, and that's humble and not overly confident that we've got all the facts, but really um, ideally from a posture of just real uh, informed solidarity with, you know, with the humble, with the victims themselves. But anyway, that's kind of another topic. But Let's close with a prayer, just asking God to, to help us uh, on our journey, on our own personal journeys of, of, of lowering ourselves, but without that um, objective of being exalted, but just um, from the perspective of, of living by every word that comes out of God's mouth. So God, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd help us to be walking in the light on a regular basis, confessing our sins like the publican, admitting um, to our uh, limitations and our willful or, uh, or even unconscious actions that hurt ourselves and other people. Help us to take this narrow path and, uh, and to be able to look to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And thank you that you show us the way um, of humility and help us, uh, give us the grace to be able to follow that path Help us to hear your voice and to um, truly put your, um, your counsel and your word above what we think is right according to our own analysis and our, the things that are right in our own eyes. Help us to, to walk uh, according to your word and according to what is right in your eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.